Good morning. Let's begin with a prayer. I am blessed, O oh Jesus, when I follow you. I am blessed when I listen to you. I am blessed when I obey you, pray to you. I am blessed when I live for you. When others in this world try to convince me otherwise, help me to recall your beatitudes that I hear today, your blessings upon my life. In Jesus' name, let all of God's people say amen. You know, I know you've heard them, these statements, these wacky statements that people make. Sometimes you just hear the most outrageous, um, far-fetched statements that come out of people's mouths that you just know, your brain knows ahead of time. It sends off this alarm so that it just goes in one ear and goes out the other so that it doesn't take root in your memory and it doesn't just sit there and just fester. And that, that was the wackiest thing I ever heard. I can't believe the person wasted breath to even say that. I've got a couple of examples for you so that you know kind of where my brain is going here this morning. The first one was that I came across, and I've had this marked down. See, this one planted itself in my head. Way back in 2007, this, the chief executive officer of Microsoft Corporation, he said this, there is absolutely no possible chance whatsoever that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. This is 2023. That was roughly 15 years ago. Now, you can parse the numbers the way you want to. But the iPhone is the largest selling cell phone in the world for all practical purposes. Oh yes, once in a while, Android edges it out just for a little bit when it's, when it's self-combusting Galaxy 5 decides to come on the market. But then the iPhone is back up. So, so much for that. The other one, and this one actually stuck in my head. I can't believe it. This one did not go in one ear and out the other one. This one took up root. I had this dear friend, Andy Stavish, when I was growing up, and they had built a granny suite, which all we boys helped build, and they had his grandmother living with them. And she came up with, all due respect, Mrs. Stavish, the wackiest comments. It's like, where did you come up with that? Where did that come from? And the famous one that I remember her for was, the older you get, the better that you get, unless you're a banana. Right? The other example that I have for you of just these outrageous, far-fetched things that people say is when the press secretary of the former president of the United States gleefully got up to his podium after the inauguration of this former president, and he said that our president, whose name shall not be mentioned, just like Voldemort, I'd rather, say, I'd rather say his name. I know, we've got TV watching. His press secretary got up and said, this president had the highest attendance at his inauguration than any president in the history of the United States. Reporters got to check this out. And so they've got drone pictures looking down seeing that the attendance at this former President Voldemort's inauguration was less than half 
of what the president before him's attendance at his inauguration was. So the press is just going crazy over this. And Kellyanne Conway has to get up and salvage this whole situation. And she gets up and she says, well, he was simply using alternate facts. <laughs> and let me, let me get this right. She said, defending what the press secretary had said altered about alternate facts. She said, he was presenting an alternate reality for the other half of the population. Should have gone in one ear and out the other and not taken up root in my head. But there are just some statements that are made that are so outrageous, so wacky, so far-fetched that you just don't want them seeding in your brain. You want them just to keep going and you just never knew that they even existed. Well, I think some of us have that problem with the Beatitudes. You see, I think you, like me, if I were sitting on the top of that mountain along with the disciples, because there had to be more than just his disciples there. There had to be other people listening. Normal guys like me. Listening to him make those statements that he made in his, in his Sermon on the Mount. Statements like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? Really? Are you serious? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In what universe is that ever going to happen? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I probably would have shuffled on down that mountain to head to the diner for lunch, shaking my head, wondering to myself, where did he come up with this stuff? Where did that even come from? I know that his disciples say that he's the son of God, but I'm thinking that God is misinformed on this day. He hasn't spent enough time down here. This is not how the world works. His beatitudes, if that's what he wants to call them, they sound like platitudes to us. They sound like thinly veiled promises to us. It sounds to me, I'm thinking that he's thinking, that he's looking at us, and he feels as though he needs to kind of throw out some promises to make us feel better. He sees that not many of us are rich. He sees that a lot of us are not in real good health. He sees that many of us in the crowd have tears streaming down our faces and we're sitting there with wet faces. So he's going to just feel like he needs to toss out a few cliche phrases in order to buck us up and make us feel better again. I think... That's what it probably would have gone through my head as I was walking down the mountain after hearing those beatitudes of his. But it was more than that. These were factual statements, to be sure. These were promises, to be sure. Not far-fetched, outrageous, wacky statements that we hear at election time. If we consider the staggering nature of the promises that God gives us, to in his, gives us in his gospel, if we consider the staggering reward, we consider the staggering rewards that come as a benefit of being a child in the kingdom of God as a result of this gospel, it would seem that our Lord sees our heavenly priorities not so strong, but really, really weak. And so he needs to speak these beatitudes to us. You see, we are half-hearted creatures. 
We are folks that fool around with ambition and sex and riches and honor and glory. What he has set before us, the treasures of heaven itself. Too often, you and I allow ourselves to whip ourselves into a frenzy and get gobsmacked by the stress or the hyperness of the world and the day that we're living in. And we burden ourselves with all sorts of things that are just raising our blood pressure and causing stress and anxiety in ourselves. And we have to spend a small fortune on medication and psychologists and psychiatrists. I'm not saying if you don't have a medical dis or chemical disorder, you shouldn't see doctors. But you know what I'm talking about. We let this stuff just kind of bang, zoom, just whip us off any sort of sense of reality and get us totally off of our game. I love it when you're talking and Siri thinks that she's talking to you. What can I help you with now? I'm preaching right now. You know, too often, you and I are like this clueless child, totally oblivious to the world, just totally content, making these mud pies in a ditch, and not even noticing the dad is standing there saying, I'm going to reward you. I'm reward the whole family. Things have gone really well for us this year. We're going to Disneyland. Pew! There was this pastor in the 19th century, about 1827, 1829. He died. And he was, he was a Lutheran pastor, a confessional Lutheran pastor. And he was growing very sad and probably on some days a little frustrated. But he was growing very sad about how God's people were allowing themselves to be distracted and thrown off by the priorities of the gospel. And they were fixating themselves on the things of the world. And he said about his people in his congregation, he says, I preach the gospel to them. I preach that Christ lived and died for them. I preach that God raised his own son from the grave and they still live these lives like that as if there was no savior in their world whatsoever. It's like they receive the precious gem of the gospel. This this beautiful these beautiful pearls of the gospel. And they throw away the pearls and they sit there playing with the shells. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying to all of us this morning, in me, you are blessed, not burdened. You know, you and I are all well aware of the world by this time. If you're over 14 years old and you've been on a playground, and you're a girl especially, you know how this world works. If you're poor, you're lazy, and you deserve it. Mourners, they're whiners. The meek, the meek are losers, says the world. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, ah, they're religious fanatics, and they deserve to be put on a boat and shipped away. The merciful, they're a bunch of wimps, no backbone whatsoever. The pure in heart, the pure in heart are a bunch of naive dreamers. Peacemakers, again, like the meek, no backbone. And persecuted, well, the persecuted deserve it because they've shown terrorist inclinations. We should drum them out of the country. 
Plus, they come from a different country and they look different than us. That's the way of the world. The world says, blessed are the rich because they can buy whatever they want. They can have whatever they want. Blessed are the strong because you know, might makes right, right? Blessed are the beautiful because, well, they're just beautiful and everyone fawns all over them. Blessed are the loud mouths because they're the bullies in the room and they just talk everybody else down. You've experienced this. I've experienced this. These are the proven paths to happiness and everybody knows it, right? A comedian once said, I've been poor and I've been rich. And believe me, rich is better. Who would argue with him? Well, Jesus would. Jesus is seated on a mountain with his disciples and probably a small to medium-sized crowd this morning. What he wants is unquestioning faith. What he wants is unwavering love for him and his Father and the Holy Spirit. And the way that he enlivens this in his hearers is by contrasting the way of the world with God's ways. The poor in spirit get the kingdom of heaven. They're all kind of wondering and contemplating. The merciful are shown mercy. What kind of thinking is this? What kind of worldview is this? Peacemakers are called sons of God. This is really starting to trouble them. They're having a hard time figuring it out. But eventually, eventually by the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they get the point. And they totally understand where Jesus is coming from because what is impossible with men is possible with God. Jesus was going to turn everything on its head. He, was going to com he had come in order to make everything new. And that included the worldview of his followers. In fact, would you have expected any less of the Son of Heaven when he decided that he was going to come down to earth? Of course he's going to rock our world a little bit. So Jesus brings us into his world here in this, in this Sermon on the Mount, in these Beatitudes that we hear this morning, the first 12 verses of it. He knows that we are products of sin's influence. He knows that this world's ways will never create a kingdom of glory or a kingdom of God. And he knows that our life is often the way of the cross. Those things that we suffer as a result of being a Christian, let alone the things that we suffer as a result of just being a human being living in this world. So to keep us from feeling defeated and to keep us from feeling overwhelmed and made a victim, in order to keep us from being distracted by feeling a victim or being feeling defeated, keep us, keep us from being distracted by the real work that he would have us do as his children, as his followers, as his disciples, in order to build up in us that unwavering love and that unswerving faith in us. What he does is he preaches these beatitudes to us. He gives us assurances in these beatitudes. And he says, follow me, listen to me, Believe in me, because in me you will be blessed. You will not be burdened. 
Jesus, as I said at the beginning of this service, Jesus' epiphany is unfolding here. Who else could stand with or sit with such boldness and preach such beautiful truths from the mouth of God? We call these sacred paradoxes because they're not impossible to understand. You just have to stop and think about them for a while and understand them in the context in which he's speaking. His beatitudes are not a list of rules from the boss of the universe bestowed down to us, his, his children. The beatitudes are not a summary of the Christian faith. The Beatitudes do not describe a faraway kingdom of heaven. What they describe is a present moment reality for you. As a believer in Jesus as your Savior from sin, death, and hell. The Beatitudes are not prescriptions of how to live a happy life. They are descriptions of what your life is right now, even when it doesn't feel like it. Jesus stands before his followers as the God-sent giver, and he uses this word blessed in talking about us, which means that a gift is being given. To people who crouch like a beggar, so poor and destitute that they must look to him for everything, he gives no, he gives no less than the kingdom of heaven. Think about that for a minute. You are blessed with the kingdom of heaven. To people who mourn over the barrenness of their own soul and, and think to themselves, that's it. This is finally the time that God is going to say, no, I'm done with you. You have committed that sin one too many times and I've cut you slack one too many times. That's it. And they feel as though that this was the time, this was the sin that has finally cut them off from the blessed fountain of paradise, the fountain of blessedness in heaven. He comforts them yet once again because his patience is long, not short, with his children. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven you. You hear yet one more time. To people made pure of heart who in meek serenity and confident trust in his promises to them have taken yet one more insulting hit for the faith, who have taken one more insulting blow for the Christian religion. He calms their frustration. He reassures their trembling trust and faith in him as their savior. And he says to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't doubt. You're on the right side. You are blessed. To people who think that life has become so burdensome and that you're just holding on by a mere thread, he says to you, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You are blessed. To his people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he reminds them that he is the gift of righteousness. In person, you are blessed. And when you take all of these things that Jesus has to say, and you meditate upon them, and you contemplate them, and you put them all together, isn't it just Jesus' way? Just one more of his ways, 
to get you to stop and consider to loosen your grip on this world. To loosen your grip on this world and of all of its things that causes so much stress and so much anxiety and so much headache and heartache. And turn instead to him and see in him your all in all because at the end of the day, he's all you've got for hope and eternity. Read these Beatitudes again for yourself when you get home this afternoon. And I think what you're going to see is that they have everything to do with what Jesus does for us and not what we do for him. That's really far from burdensome preaching that sends you home with more baggage than you came here with. This is the good news teaching of Jesus this morning in these Beatitudes. And I encourage you to go home and read them some more because this is where he says to you, in me, following me, worshiping me, you are blessed. You are not burdened. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what the Bible calls grace. And that is what Jesus says your life has been blessed with. He has blessed your life with his grace. God, keep it that way until he calls you home to the safety of his heaven. In the meantime, keep living these words of the Beatitudes because these words of the Beatitudes are his grace in your life. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith.